believe there must be some more downstairs, so if you're in a place where you're hearing my voice, it's time to come up and time for the worship service. Well, I have no other new announcements than what were made this morning. It is a delight to have the Shirley family with us. If you were downstairs, you can see that it looks like they've made themselves at home. And I think from what I looked and saw, they've adopted a few of you to become a part of that family. So the only stipulation I have with regard to that adoption is you have to attend here. All right, so just to make that clarification. Well, now let us give ourselves to the worship of our God. Take your hymns of grace. Hymns of Grace, number 133, All Glory Be to God, 133 in the Hymns of Grace.
Let's ask God to meet with us again in this afternoon's service. Brother Dan, would you please lead us in that prayer? Amen. You can be seated. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 today. And I would like to stop at verse 14 for a couple of reasons. I don't want to horn in on any time that uh, Pastor Shirley might need. And then also... I haven't got a handle <laughs> on verse 26, so I asked Calvin for a couple of books uh, on Ecclesiastes. So pray for that, that we might uh, gain some insight on that. Maybe I just don't read enough commentaries, but uh, I, do, I don't want to say anything out of school on that. But in verses 1 through 14, is interesting if you, if you have, I think... The ESV does it and the LSB does it, maybe some others, but they will arrange the verses uh, line by line. So it's a, it's a proverbial type section here uh, where there's comparisons made. We have a lot of comparisons, seven of them, uh, in fact, and in this case we're comparing this is better than that. And uh, so a good name in verse 1, is better than good oil or precious ointment. The day of death, better than the day of birth. Again, how many times uh, we have heard that theme. Going to a funeral is better than going to a party. Sorrow or vexation is better than laughter. Listening to the rebuke of the wise is better than listening to the music of fools. If you're one of those many in our day today who has to have music pumped into your ears uh, all day long, uh, make sure it's not the music of fools. It would be better to uh, listen to rebukes, grab some sermons. The end of the thing is better than its beginning. We're down at verse 8. Uh, beginning of verse 8 now. And then patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. And these are all uh, quite obvious things, perhaps except uh, the day of death uh, being better than the day of birth. But life being under the sun being vain, 
a, a vapor that passes away, even as we just sung. Um, yeah, death is better. So, uh, follow along as I read uh, from the Legacy Standard, verses 1 through 14. Better is a good name than good oil, and better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of all mankind, and the living puts this in his heart. Better is vexation than laughter or uh, sorrow might be. Like I said, we all have a different connotation of a word. So when I hear vexation, it's it's quite a different word um, from sorrow, but it has been translated uh, both ways. The legacy seems to prefer vexation in cases like this. It says, when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. I like the King James uh, his, his countenance is made better by sorrow. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, verse 4, while the heart of fools is in the house of gladness. Better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling sound of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. If you've ever been at a bonfire and had uh, thorn bushes burning, you know that they make a lot of noise. They crackle, but it doesn't last. It's gone. And that's the laughter of fools is like that. This, too, is vanity. So here's another thing to add to our vanity uh, definition basket, the uh, laughter of fools. Empty. Verse 7, for oppression gives a wise man over to madness, and a bribe destroys the heart. Better is the end of a matter than its beginning. Better is patience of spirit than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your spirit to be vexed, for vexation rests in the bosom of fools. Again, I like uh, the word anger, uh, rests in the bosom of fools. Alas, uh, often feel that's my life verse. Verse 10, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Remember that when you hear some geezer talking about the good old days. Verse 11, wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a shadow of protection, as money is a shadow of protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life, lives of its masters. See the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day when there is good, be of good cheer. But in the day when there is evil, see or consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not find out anything that will be after him. Certainly God has given us a good day, and we look forward to the opening of God's Word by John here in just a few minutes. But before he comes, take your hymns of grace, turning to 368. 368 is our prayer that 
as the word is open, that God would speak through his word to us uh, this afternoon. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. 368 Hymns of Grace. Stand together as we sing. Good afternoon. Uh, 
Uh, there are many good things that come from having a second service. I can think of two. You, uh, you get to correct the mistakes in the first one. For instance, I forgot to mention, uh, we have a newsletter we send out regularly. If you'd like to receive that, uh, just put your email on that sign-up sheet back there. That's the simple one. And then also uh, a heresy check, possibly, or misteaching check. When I was speaking this morning in Sunday school, uh, I don't know where my mind was, but uh, we were talking about the return of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. And it seems to be the clearest explanation of that is chapter 25 of Matthew, the sheep and goat judgments, occurs at the end of the tribulation, after those seven years of Christ dealing with the nation of Israel. I may have said something about that was uh, a thousand years later. I was only off by a thousand years. So... That's not too bad. But uh, probably Matthew 25 is at the end of the seven years of tribulation. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to God's word, Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to speak just for a little while about what the gospel is. So we have been sent out. We have been commissioned to be the ambassadors of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about God pleading to the lost world through us. Isn't that humbling to think that God is pleading through us? We represent him. He died for us. We could live for him. And we're sent on this mission of making disciples. And so we have to understand what the gospel is. And not only do we have to believe it's true, we have to be able to communicate it clearly to other people. And sometimes, you know, that's a little hard for us. We don't understand how to communicate those truths, or we're nervous, and um, or we're fearful, or we, we don't know quite what to say. Or what if they say this? Or what if they say that? I want to just walk through these first eight verses of, of um, excuse me, Isaiah chapter six. I want to give you four words to think about, and these four words, on these four words, hang all of the truth of the gospel. Beginning to end, Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. Because the Bible is God communicating to us what we need to know about him. And the Bible is communicating to us what God wants us to know about ourselves. And the Bible then communicates to us what to do with that information. So let me say that again. The Bible tells us what we need to know about God. The Bible tells us what we need to know about ourselves and then what to do with the information that we've learned about God and ourselves. And this is the message that we deliver. Because man in his natural state has a wrong understanding of who God is. And a wrong understanding of who we are. And so therefore we're going to have a wrong understanding of how to respond. Another way to say that is, if we're not right with the Creator, we're never going to be right with creation. Everything God has made, everything in the universe, we're going to misuse. We're going to misvalue. We're going to love the gifts instead of the giver. We're going to worship the gifts. It's all those things that come along with not understanding the truth about God, and the truth about ourselves, and how to respond to it. It's not just an issue of knowledge. Adam and Eve had a very good understanding of who God is. Lucifer has a very good understanding of who God is. It's not just knowledge. It's submission to the reality of who we are and who God is. And so that's all laid out here in this text. So let me give you these four words. And so as you think about 
the people you love or the people you're going to meet or the people you plan to share the good news of Christ with, you can turn right to this passage and with these four words and explain to them the reality of the situation. These are the four words. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. And we see that right here in the text. So let's read Isaiah chapter 6, first eight verses or so. And uh, I realize this in the context of an awesome, powerful, mighty book. And I, I don't want to step out of the boundaries in which the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah. So we'll try to stay within those boundaries as well. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, and I'd just like to stop here and just in my mind visualize what God has shared with us so far about the situation. And now I put myself in the presence of this room as I read these words and I hear these voices and I see the reality. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what he heard. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then... One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard, of the, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Uh, we see the doctrine of the Trinity snuck in there a little bit. Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And then he gave them the message to tell. Let's pray. Our holy, holy, holy God. Help us to grasp who you are and who we are. And what you've done and what we need to do. And we praise you for this truth revealed through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we always think more of ourselves than we should. I do anyway. Maybe you do. And we start, and the, the, the text here begins with this king, Uzziah. And he was the godly king, nation of uh, Judah, for 52 years. That is a long time to have one ruler. And you can, we can say a lot about all that, but you can understand that the nation had at least a sense of security and consistency 
without a change and upheaval, upheaval of ruler after ruler after ruler, dynasty after dynasty. 52 years. This human king. But even a king dies. His rule ends. No matter how powerful the man is, no matter wise, great, loving, kind, good, all the things he's accomplished, all of his failures, whatever it is, all of it comes to an end, every one of us, even kings. So we have this earthly kingdom with the king dying and we also see another king overshadowing that kingdom, a different throne, a different rule. <clears throat> that king is gone, verse 1 says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Authority, power, position. And so, where is this throne? Now, Uzziah's throne had been in Judah over a pretty small piece of geography. Let's, let's admit it, okay? But he, for those people those times, uh, had a lot of power. Now compare that to the throne overlooking how much geography? The entire universe. And don't we just throw that word universe out there so easily we don't even grasp it? But every once in a while I take the time to look at the stars and I think how far they go and how much I don't see. This throne sits over all of that in authority. High. Lifted up. High, higher than any other authority. Lifted up farther than any other human king or kingdom. Than my own authority and my own kingdom. And don't be mistaken, I have a kingdom. I am the king of my life. I'm born again. And there's only room for one king at a time. And for a new king to come, the old king has to die. Salvation is a kingdom issue. It's a territory issue. So we see this king over all of my kingdom, over all everybody's kingdom, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. What a, that's the imagery that we don't use so much anymore, but you think about a bride walking down the aisle and they had the, the train coming. It reveals you know, her glory and the beauty of the bride. You, know, you don't wear that to church every Sunday, right? I mean, it's just it's a little much, but at a wedding it's meant to... And so that train, you know, the, the more glorious the bride, like when a queen gets married, you know, that, that thing goes all the way to the end of the aisle probably. It's... The idea here, the vision is there, there, there's no place left in the building for this train to fill. All The glory is everywhere and it's filled. there's no empty place. Everything is about the glory. When we think about the glory of God, we can use a lot of different definitions of this, but I think of it like this. Glory is the understanding. When I glorify God, when I see His glory, when... You know, whether I'm giving it to him or seeing it, it's the idea, the understanding of who God is and what he's doing. I see God for who he really is. When I see the glory of God, I really see him for who he is, what he's doing, what he's able to do. And when I glorify him, I'm, I'm acknowledging what I've observed about him. So this glory here is that he deserves everything, all that he represents, all that he's done. There's no place in existence that doesn't say God is real and he's on this throne. That's the idea here. Now, that's the place. Now we start seeing 
creation, things that have been made by him, these individuals, these beings, these people, but not human beings, these seraphim, that are, there's a bit of a mystery here, but they're created to worship their creator and to point others to the worship of the creator and help us understand truth about the creator. Isn't that the purpose of creation? So the rest of creation can understand truth about the Creator. And so that's what these individuals are revealing, truth about this Creator. They had these six wings, and there's some speculation here, but you know the Bible doesn't just say, okay, here's what wing number one means, here's what wing number two means. We don't have that, but we see what they're doing. So uh, the, remember, these are sinless beings, okay? This is not Isaiah. This, these are sinless beings. They can't even look at the holiness of God. They're covering, they're covering their eyes. God, I can't see. Even sinless beings have no right to see God. So those are the wings covering. Uh, then the, the, the humility, being in the presence of God, the wings covering their feet, lowly. And then two wings, they, they serve with two wings. These are these beings revealing truth about God. They're flying. In. They're, they're speaking to each other. They're crying out to each other. Holy, that would be good enough, wouldn't it? Holy, 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 holy. And we can do some language studies perhaps in the Hebrew that the emphasis of words is the repetition. Like we say, that's very, that's really cool, that's very cool. It's like cool, cool, cool or whatever. But it's the, the emphasis on the multiplying of words puts weight to it. It could be the Trinity and the whole... The idea here is God is holy, separate from all that is being created. Okay, here's this throne room. Here's this. Here's sinless creation. Here's the fall of creation. God is removed and separate from all of it in a way that nothing else is or can be. He is holy, holy, holy. So as we start talking about these four words, God, a right understanding of who God is. We have to see him in a position of creative authority. We're seeing people, individuals that he has created in the place of his rule. And so if we think of God as the man upstairs or uh, somebody I can negotiate with or I don't want to worship a God like that, if that's our understanding of God, it's not the God of the Bible. And the only source of truth that God has chosen to give us about who he is is in the Bible and what he has created, general revelation and specific revelation. So whatever I may think about God is just that, what I think about him. But who really cares what I think? What does God say about himself? That he is holy, holy, holy. Perfect creatures recognize this and acknowledge it. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now that's uh, this, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but you think about that. There's some pretty dark, bad places in this world, aren't there? That's full of His glory? Those dens of iniquity? Remember what glory is. The revelation of who God is and what He's doing. If you were to take some time and look in Romans chapter 9, we see clearly that God is even glorified by bringing judgment to those people that deserve judgment. Just like He's glorified when Christ took our judgment for us. So, God is glorified when he deals with the unrighteous. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. Do we understand that perspective? The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The judgmental power of the holy God. The world-rattling reality of God's holiness better rock your world. If you want to understand who God is. And we need to talk a lot about the nature and the character, attributes and work of who God is. That's what Isaiah is doing here, inspired by God himself. He is really breaking it down. He's more powerful than a human king. He has authority over all of creation. He is perfect. Nothing matches him. All glorious is everything about all of existence is about this God. Do you get it yet? No, not yet? Okay, how about what the angels are saying? They're holy, holy, holy. You, you, you still want me? Okay, let's rattle the cage. Let's shake the bars. Let's move the building. Now do you have it? The house was filled with smoke. Okay, Isaiah, we're starting to get it. When we start understanding a right, when we have a right understanding of God, then we're able to go to the second point. God, man. Uh, when I look at myself compared to you, I might look pretty good. Or vice versa, you look yourself compared to When I compare myself, my accomplishments or my disasters or my sins, I can always find somebody worse than me. Who, someone who's told one more lie than me or stole another dollar or had one more lustful thought or one more di- re- disrespectful comment about the government or whatever it may be. There's always somebody who has one more than me, right? But that's, who cares? We're not judging each other. God is. We're accountable to Him. And so we have to understand the right understanding of God. Now Isaiah sees himself for who he is. And how does he describe man himself? Woe is me. What do you mean by that, Isaiah? It's over. I'm undone. If God is who he is, and I stand before him like I am, I am woe. I'm judged. I'm undone. And not just me. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. You see, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Isaiah uses this idea, what I say reveals my heart. Unclean lips means unclean heart, inner man, fallen. That's what that's all about. Woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How did he come to that conclusion? Not by looking at the other people with unclean lips or even at himself. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As long as we keep our eyes off of God, we look pretty good. Or we can compare ourselves to others. 
A right understanding of God, He is holy. A right understanding of man, we're not. And that means we cannot be in His presence. That's the whole point of the holy, holy, holy. I have to be separated from you. I think Pastor Calvin mentioned this in his message this morning. We're separated from a holy God. Do you understand what that means? We can't be there. And what is eternity in heaven about? It's about Jesus. It is about Jesus. Being in, I am the re- resurrection and the life. Eternity is not about a place. It's about a person. Jesus. Now, here's the mind blower of all of this. At least to me. Keep your hand here. Turn over to John chapter 12. The Gospel of John chapter 12, verse 41. John chapter 12. Now let's just back up to verse 37 for a second. What's the context? The book of Isaiah. Okay? The context of John here is the book of Isaiah. So John chapter 12, verse 37. The pronoun he is in reference to Jesus two verses earlier, okay? The pronoun he is referring to Jesus. Verse 37. But although he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed a report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said to them, He has blinded their hearts and hardened their hearts, lest they should see their eyes, lest they should understand with their ears, hearts and turns, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. If you connect those dots from verse 37 to verse 41, they're talking about the same person, Jesus In verse 37, it's talking about Jesus. In verse 41, it's talking about God. Guess what? Jesus is God. Here's my point. Isaiah is looking at Jesus. Of course, Jesus is God. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the mystery of the triune God, the Trinity, we we don't completely grasp. But we have to remind ourselves as we're giving this gospel that Isaiah is in the presence of Jesus here. And why is that so important? Because of the next point I'm about to make. God, man, Christ. We have to have a right understanding of God and a right understanding of man to understand Jesus, who is God and man. 100% God, 100% man. Now, Old Testament economy, Old Testament text, all written in the shadow of what Jesus is going to do. Everybody in the Old Testament is saved because Jesus died and rose again. Everybody in the New Testament is saved because Jesus died and rose again. They were looking forward. We're looking back. It's always about the resurrection of Christ. So we see here this picture of Christ, I really believe, in Isaiah 6. You can turn back there with me, please. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. So we see who God is. He's holy. We see who man is. Unclean lips, sinful. And Isaiah recognizes the problem. And he can't fix it. I'm undone. I am undone. There's no effort. There's no hope. There's no chance. I can't, I'm not going to make myself holy enough. Even if Isaiah became perfect at that moment, he's still guilty of all the sin he's already done. 
So now we see this. Verse 6 of Isaiah 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away from you, and your sin purged. No briquette can do that. Okay? It does have, has nothing to do with any of the flame or the heat or the tongs. It's all a symbol. You see... What was the target? The lips, representing the heart, which he already said, I'm a man of unclean lips. My heart's wrong. It goes for the heart. Only God can purify. That's what we see happening to Isaiah. This God-man Christ. And see here, as we're telling people about God, insert here the Christmas story. If you ever talk to people about Jesus, they may have no idea who you're talking about. If when I was in the Dominican Republic, I was giving the gospel to some people at this medical clinic. They, I thought, do you know what Christmas is all about? No. Do you know who was born Christmas? No. You ever heard of Easter? What do you? No idea. Zero. That's not just in the Dominican Republic. I was getting my hair cut uh, about a year or two ago here in Wasion. Getting my hair cut. It's Christmas time. This uh, was a couple years ago. You know, there was something to cut. And uh, talk, chatting up the girl and said, oh, what are you guys doing at Christmas? Oh, we're going to celebrate with us. said, what are you celebrating at Christmas? Oh, we, whatever. We have our family together. I said, oh, well, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. No idea that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Not in some country on an island in the Caribbean. I'm talking about 30 minutes from here. I'm talking about probably across the street. They don't know who Jesus is. Let me tell you, if you're giving the gospel and you just say, Jesus died for you and rose again to pay for your sins, it's meaningless if they don't know who Jesus is. That he's the one on this throne who is also a man, who is completely qualified. you got to break that down. So don't be too fast just saying, believe in Jesus. Yes, we do. I, mean, you, I think you understand. you got to unpack that truth so that Jesus they're confessing and repenting to is the God who became man. We have to, help them. We, we have to teach them that truth. So we see this response. We see... God, holy, man, sinful. And right there is that this is the point. Now do you see that you've got a problem, my friend? Do you see God for who he is? Do you see you for who you are? Now do you see what Jesus has done? God, man, Christ. Anybody remember the last word? Just still with me? Response. Response. It's right here in our text. What's Isaiah's response? Here I am. That's the saving response. Here I am. Because before I was the king, I'll step off my throne, you come on the throne. Faith and repentance. One coin with two sides. Faith and repentance are both gifts from God. Saving faith is demonstrated by repentance. Repentance means I turn from my kingdom authority to your kingdom. That's why Jesus started this ministry by teaching to pray, your kingdom come. Quit having your own kingdom. That's what Isaiah says. Here I am. That's it. 
Okay. If you're real, what's the message he's going to deliver? It's not cookies and ice cream. They don't like the message. They don't like the messenger, and they're going to reject it. Sound familiar? <laughs> the same thing. God, man, Christ response is, my dear brother and sister, do you recognize God for who he is? That he is the holy creator sitting on the throne of all that exists, including you. Do you recognize yourself for who you are, a created being? And if you are created, if you are a creature, you are owned. Boy, this goes right against pride in the heart of man. What do you mean I'm owned? Well, let's just insert the doctrine or the teaching of evolution. Guess what? If there's no creator, I'm not created. There's no creator, there's no owner, I'm not owned. If there's no creator and owner, I'm not accountable. Sure, that sounds like a good, good lie to believe. Are you, my dear friend, ready to recognize that you're created and owned? And now will you recognize, like Isaiah, that you have gone against the created purposes for which God created you, which is his glory. You have sinned against him, and you too are undone, just like me. Do you recognize this? This is the point that we have to help people get to. The power, if the Holy Spirit, we're the messenger. The Holy Spirit opens eyes, but our job, humanly speaking, is to get into the place of this understanding that they are created and owned, and violating the holiness of their Creator. And now we can talk about: Can you believe that this God we have sinned against loves us so much that He became a man? And He was undone, so you don't have to be. And we explain the book of Christ. Do you mean that holy, holy, holy Jesus became that baby who then was abused? I mean, this isn't a five-minute thing. This is a five-hour, five-day. This is a lifetime message to people we love. Now, here's the response God commands. And it is a command. He commands everyone everywhere to repent. Acts 17. Will you get off of the throne? In Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. As that's it. Woven in there are those realities of faith and repentance. Because if you confess with your mouth whom? The baby Jesus? No. The miracle-working Jesus? No. The crucified Jesus? Oh, that cuts coming. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's authority. That's kingdom talk. That means you will no longer... It's not just a title. It is a position. He will be the Lord. You must be like Isaiah. Here I am. You ready for that? Absolutely. When I see how holy he is, and how much I deserve what, uh, uh, his judgment, and I see that what Jesus has done, uh, we run to it when he calls us. 
It's like that proverb or like, um, a parable Jesus gave in Matthew 13, 44. The man found a treasure hidden in a field and for joy over he sold all that he had in order, order to obtain it. I joyfully renounce what's sending me to hell to embrace what's rescuing me. So do you recognize who God is, who you are, and what Jesus has done? Are you ready to embrace him as Lord? If you confess through your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, why, that's the faith in that what he has done was sufficient to make it right for all the times he wasn't your Lord. My Lord that I've rebelled against has picked up the tab for my rebellion against his Lordship. What a God. Are you ready for that? Then you're ready to be born again. God is holy. Man is undone. Jesus is the God who became man, who has offered purification through his work. And our response is, by faith, turn to his sovereignty and follow him based upon the work of his creation, his rule, and his resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, how could we have ever known these things if you had not told them to us? Nobody else is talking like this. Nobody else has this truth but you. And you've opened our eyes. Before we were your enemy, we were blind, we were dead, we hated you, we were children of Satan, children of wrath. And you opened our eyes to the truth of who you are and who we are and what Christ has done. Now, Lord, send us out to very clearly live like we believe it's true. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a glorious gospel that we have the privilege of proclaiming. It is the hope of all mankind. And may God help us not to be ashamed of that gospel. For our closing hymn, turn in the hymns of grace to number 48. It seems like an appropriate hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Hymns of grace, number 48. Let's stay together as we sing.
great day, I trust. Thank you, John, for your labors on our behalf. We appreciate that. Just a reminder, if you weren't able to go to the conference yesterday, and just a few of us were, in Canton, uh, Dr. Waldron, Pastor Waldron, will be preaching tonight at Grace Baptist in Canton. That'll be live streamed on their website, so you can go up there, or you can watch it live stream and get a taste of what we got yesterday as he expounded from 1 Corinthians 11. Just wanted to remind you of that. So uh, you are dismissed. Have a great week.